Well, good morning. If you're new here, Luke may have confused you a little bit when he said Tyler Johnson's going to open the word and he's the lead pastor of Redemption Church. So let me just say this. Redemption Church, as Luke mentioned, is multi-congregational. Ten congregations throughout the state of Arizona, one in Tucson, one in Flagstaff, eight in Metropolitan Phoenix. My role is to be the lead pastor of Redemption Arizona, kind of lead us in unified mission, and things are going great. I just want to tell you that, just to make this clear. Luke's the lead pastor of Redemption Gateway um, (laughs) right here. Uh, That's my role. Things are going amazing. Uh, We have congregations that we've planted in the past few years that are growing substantially. Um, God has been really gracious to us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he's opened up opportunities that some properties have just been given to us. Others sold at like a dime on a dollar. Um, But let me tell you one of the things I'm rejoicing in and benefiting the most from right now is the diversity of our congregations. Um, one thing that makes redemption unique is that these aren't just sites that look the same. They're very, very different, different constituencies, different parts of the city. And when we come together, which is every week in a preaching collective, every month as our leadership, we shape each other because of difference. And it is really important that we all understand all the time, not just in redemption, that what we're a part of, what we're a part of is always bigger than the part we play always. So if you're a Christian, um, let's say it this way. As a church, as Redemption Gateway, the whole of Redemption Church is bigger than just this church. But the whole of the church in the state of Arizona is bigger than Redemption Church. So your church is bigger than you. So what you're a part of is always bigger than the part you play, but the part we play is indispensable to the whole. And we're going to see that today uh, with the Apostle Paul. So as we open up to Acts chapter 21, let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you have called us to something that literally has worldwide global um, outcomes to it. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I pray that you'd show that to us this morning. Um, God, I pray that as we get into this story about the Apostle Paul going to Jerusalem, that we would be inspired, but that we would understand how we play our role as he played his Jesus, we love you, praise you, ask you that your spirit would move upon us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So there was a woman walking down a deserted road. And as she walked down this deserted road, she saw sitting there a magic lamp. She thought it was beautiful, and so she picked up this magic lamp, and like any magic lamp would, a genie came out. The genie came out, ah, so good to be here, looked right at her and said, yes, I'm a genie, yes, you get a wish, but here's the deal, one wish. You don't get two, you only get one wish. So she sits and she thinks and she thinks and she goes, you know what? My husband has always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I am terrified of flying, absolutely terrified. Here's my wish. Would you build a bridge from California all the way over the ocean right in to Hawaii. And the genie's just shaking his head, looking at her. Do you understand the complexity of engineering that it would take to build that bridge? Do you understand plate tectonics and how things shift? That's an impossible request. You still get your one request, make the next one. And she sits there and stops for a minute and she remembers that weekend she had kind of 
had a tiff with her husband, and her husband said, I wish you'd just understand me. So she looked back at the genie, and she said, okay, here's my request. Could I just understand my spouse? To which the genie replied, do you want the bridge to have two lanes or four? <laughs> now here's the reality. Life is interpersonally challenging and it's very emotionally complex. The passage that we see today has tension in relationships. People believing that what Paul wants to do, he shouldn't do. Problems in how to figure that out. And it's much like our world. It's a very specific situation. But if we just stop for a minute and think about the context of the world that we live in, the reality is it's hard. Things are interpersonally, meaning relationally challenging. They are emotionally complex. Marriage is, parenting is, family is, immediate family and extended family, church life is interpersonally challenging and emotionally complex. How men and women relate together in the wider world is interpersonally challenging and emotionally complex. Race relations, right? you can't open up the news and not see that race relations, which are interpersonal, are really complex. Global affairs, seems like we're on the brink of war all the time how the rich relate to the middle class and the middle class to the poor and the poor to the rich. It's complex. It is very, very challenging. The reality is this, life is hard, but love is harder. Life is hard, can I get an amen? amen. But carrying out this task that Jesus says is central to being a Christian, a Christ follower, that the greatest commandment he ever gave is to love God with all your everything and love your neighbor is yourself. Life's hard, but love is even harder than life. Here's the context of this passage. Paul's been moving from city to city, proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming this gospel is no easy task. Proclaiming task, this proclaiming this gospel, this gospel of love, pushing into this reality in which we are calling people to follow Jesus who said, love God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul displays that a living for the gospel shows this, that the gospel is barrier breaking. The gospel is barrier breaking it's bridge building work that is only actualized through costly love. Paul is passionate about this gospel that's barrier breaking, bridge building work that is actualized for co by costly love. He says where we were last week in Acts 20 verses 22 through 24, he says this, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit. Let me just start by saying this. If you heard that passage read, there's a really odd thing in this passage today because Paul says he's going to Jerusalem constrained and led by the Holy Spirit, but there are disciples in this city he comes into in the passage that we're in that actually say through the spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. 
We'll seek at the best of our possible ability to resolve this tension. But Paul was absolutely passionate. Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now stop there for a minute. Paul is moving from city to city, breaking barriers, building bridges at substantial cost to himself because he knows, understands in his experience the gospel. But the gospel Paul is preaching, the gospel that's motivating Paul, has to do with all of life. We sang an amazing song this morning, This Is My Father's World, and all through that song, it's pronouncing a gospel that has to do with everything. Now here's the reality. We as Christians believe the Bible, and the Bible portrays that God is the maker of heaven and earth. And everything in it, Colossians chapter 1, says all things, the things we can see and the things we can't see, all have been created by Christ and for Christ. But sin came into the world and distorted everything in humanity and everything in the world God made. So let's right now just say it dirtied everything. It distorted everything. I'm the father of four children. My wife and I have multiple nights where we're getting ready to put the kids down for bed, but we know we need to bathe the children because they're a sweaty mess because it's 175 outside, right? And our house is a disaster. So we'll say cleanup time. And by cleanup time, it means all of it. Now, there'll be moments where the kids will start to do one part of cleanup or they'll just shower themselves and then we'll go, we're done. And we go, we're not done, <laughs> right? Like that room's clean, but you're a mess. You got a shower or you've showered, but that room's a mess. It's all ours. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. It's all God's. And the gospel came to cancel the power of sin in all of its effects, Paul knows this. Paul says it has vertical realities to it, that people would be reconciled and restored to the God whom they were made by and for. It has horizontal dimensions to it, that this hatred that's in our world would and can be abolished through Jesus. The realities of how it affects the totality of the world in which we live is what the gospel came to redeem, reconcile, and restore. Paul's driven by that reality. When he says that I would testify to the gospel of God's grace, here's what he's saying fundamentally. He's coming in all of his sacrifice, in all of his barrier breaking, in all of his bridge building, in everything, and he's coming to do it all to announce Jesus is king. And when the king Jesus is submitted to, everything gets straightened out. But when the king is sought to be submitted to, sin is revealed and he came not just as Lord, but also as savior. 
That is fundamental to understand what's motivating and driving the Apostle Paul. Now, we come into this section, and in this section, if you look at verse 4, there's all these cities mentioned that Paul's moving. And then it says, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, these disciples were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, verse 5, we departed and went on our journey. If you're not, you don't have a Bible open, you can open an app or whatever, but this, we're right now in 21, verse 5. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Now they arrive in the city of Caesarea. And in verse 8, it says, They entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming up to us, he took off his belt, he bound his own feet and his hands, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now, if you enter this story... Here's what you know. There's tension all around this. There's anxiety all around it. There's fear all around it. There's challenge all around it. It's not unlike our day. You've got to understand the context of this time. As the gospel's moving out in the book of Acts, the context of the times in which they lived were times that were politically disruptive. They were times where the society was enraged, it was socially enraged, it was religiously confused. The apple cart of typical religious experience of the Jews was being upset by these people who said there was a man named Jesus. The gospel's being taken to Gentiles who've had worldview convictions and religious convictions and they're being disrupted, it's religiously confused. It's politically disruptive, socially enraged, religiously confused, and therefore emotionally exhausting. Does that sound anything like anything you're familiar with? Politically disruptive, socially enraged, religiously confused, and it's just emotionally exhausting. Facebook off so I can actually sleep. It's not unlike the times we're living in. There as at this time, tectonic shifts taking place. People are going, where can I put my footing? I don't know anything. I don't know. Nothing feels secure. Nothing. Feels like plates, right? Like these plates are shifting beneath our feet and we don't know where to stand. That's what happens when there's an earthquake. We're living in times of people would say tectonic change, epical change. All of this change is happening and it feels like there's an earthquake underneath our feet. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. You don't even need to turn there. I'll just tell you the story. Paul and Silas are in prison. They're speaking to people about Jesus, confused people in a climate that's politically disruptive, socially enraged religiously confused and emotionally exhausting. They're in prison talking to people about Jesus. They're singing songs to Jesus. And then an earthquake, a literal earthquake, which represents what everybody feels in the midst of culture. It's disruptive. But you know what happens with the earthquake? 
the earthquake opens doors. Look at me for a minute. Earthquakes open doors for the gospel. You may be sitting in here as an individual and go, what I'm experiencing right now in the midst of my life, in the midst of my heart and in the midst of my soul feels like an absolute earthquake. Earthquakes open doors for the gospel. God speaks in the midst of your earthquake. You may say in the midst of our family, you, you don't even understand what's happening with our kids or what's happening in my marriage. Earthquakes open doors for the gospel. God will come. God promises to come. God promises to come to those who are confused and brokenhearted. The book of James says when you're lacking in wisdom, ask for it. When you feel like there's shifting sand in the midst of culture, when there's epical change and earthquakes happening, In the midst of culture, earthquakes open doors for the gospel. Redemption Gateway, there is no better time, maybe no better time than any time in which we've lived, in which people are massively confused, incredibly scared for us to be the ones to go, Lord, I'm scared too, but you tell me to be still and know that you are God. There's no greater time that we can look at people and go, Jesus Christ is King. The problems that have come upon the world are not new. The fundamental problems of the human race that continually propagate themselves, continue to raise their head, is sin. We've disobeyed the God we were made by and for. Systems and structures and governments And organizations and families have been built on shifting sand. And Paul comes in right now into this context as he says to us and says, hey, that song we sing, on Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand, your religious traditions, your cultural rituals, the things that have brought you security, your pride in your country, it's shifting sand. Where's the proper place of confidence? Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But when the world shifts, when our hearts shift, when our context shifts, earthquakes open doors for the gospel. Paul knows this, and this is why he says in Acts chapter 20, very clearly, he's speaking to this barrier-breaking, bridge-building work that's actualized for the gospel. And he says this, I want to read it again. Hear these words of the apostle Paul. Behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me, is telling me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So let's walk. The question when you enter Acts 21 is you see all this tension. I'm constrained by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem because awful things are gonna happen. Your feet are gonna be bound. You're gonna be put in prison. You're gonna be beat. And he's going, I will go because the gospel that I must testify to, that I must witness to, is barrier breaking. Okay. 
The gospel is barrier breaking. Paul himself, this very man that we're talking about, spoke very clearly in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 23. And he said, this gospel that we embody as the church, as the people who believe this, this good news of the gospel is foolishness to the Gentiles. But Paul, if you look at Acts chapter 9, has been appointed by God as one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is one who he says in Philippians, he was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law that the Jews had, he was a zealot in keeping it. But he's been called to go to the Gentiles. So you've got to have this moment where he's going, okay, I didn't like the Gentiles. I've been absolutely transformed by the gospel. God's calling me to take this to people I once hated. I'm willing to do it now, but you're telling me when I get there, they're going to look at me like I'm a fool? The gospel is foolishness to the Gentiles. This is utter stupidity. God came in the flesh and dies on a cross for the sin of humanity. And then he, yeah, he raises from the dead and ascends into heaven and sends his spirit. Utter nonsense. And yet God says, break the barrier. Break this barrier between Jew and Gentile. Break this barrier that they don't have access to the gospel. Understand that you're an ambassador for Christ, imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So he begins to break these barriers. Jesus did this all the time. You can't talk to her. She's a Samaritan woman. You can't go there. They're drunkards. You're talking to him, that little man's a kid. He's a tax collector. Everybody hates tax collectors. And Jesus continued to do it. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Hey, woman, do you have some water for me? Consistently, he's breaking barriers. The apostle Paul says very clearly, follow me as I follow Christ, as I follow Christ in this barrier-breaking gospel ministry, follow me. Now, the gospel is beginning to go to the Gentiles. And Paul is compelled to go to Jerusalem, where the Jews are, where the Jewish Christian church is. Paul was a Jew. But as he went and took the gospel to the Gentiles, this passage in 1 Corinthians says that the gospel is foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. You're telling me the Gentiles are included? Jesus is a stumbling block. And the fact that this gospel goes to all nations and isn't just about them is a stumbling block to them. So a barrier's now been erected to the Jews and Paul goes, I'm going there. But it even goes deeper for Paul because Paul is a Jew. Paul has a incredible heart for his people. He expresses this in Romans chapter nine, verses one through three. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Folks, be honest and listen to this. I wish myself condemned to hell for the sake of my brothers, 
my kinsmen according to the flesh. I'm not certain if I and or many people I come across feels that much anguish for people that don't know Jesus personally and in a way that saves. And he says, I gotta go to the Jews. Now why, how, and why does he have that much within him? I'm convinced first and foremost, because he is a Jew. Because while he was yet a sinner, he experienced Christ's death applied to him, preserved for him, and he bled for these people. They are me and I am them. Folks, that's true whether it's your people or their people out there. The neighborly love that Jesus calls us to give, love your neighbor as yourself, is a love that literally sees in other people, they're me, I'm them. That's what the gospel does. The gospel is so impactful that you understand I am the wretch sinner, that Christ, while I was a sinner, died for me. And it so melts your heart that you begin to look at everybody else and your heart gushes. It was love that drove Paul to say, I have to go to Jerusalem. He's reenacting Jesus. What is God saying? One of the most famous Bible passages in the world. What motivated Jesus to come to earth and set his face to Jerusalem? I can ask it of Paul, but Paul says, I follow Christ. And God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe him. It's love that's motivating these people. It's costly love. It's enemy love. Here's the other piece of this that's so incredible. In Jerusalem were the greatest opponents of Paul, the Judaizers who hated Paul from Galatians 2 are in this church. So Paul's pursuit of Jerusalem is a pursuit in love, even enemy love. Even love of enemies. The gospel is barrier breaking. Here's the question, do we love our own like that? We live in times where the church is divided. It's divided because of your political opinion. It's divided based upon how you think we should move forward. It's divided on racial lines. It's divided on ethnic lines. My question is, does our heart bleed enough for our own people? to go, we must be reconciled. I will cross that barrier in order to go there. Because that's what Paul's showing us, not because of the greatness of Paul, but because of the greatness of the gospel. The gospel is barrier breaking and it's bridge building. Here's the other thing that was motivating Paul. The reason he sits there when people are going, don't go, don't go, don't go, is that the gospel is also bridge building. Paul was on his way to take an offering we know this from other passages of the Bible and all the commentators agree. He's actually taking an offering from Gentile churches to the church in Jerusalem who was poor. Multiple passages say the church in Judea was really, really poor. He's coming to bring an offering to meet a tangible need, a tangible, tangible horizontal relationship to relationship act to display love but he was doing it to testify to the gospel, which says this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, verses 15 and 16, speaks about the gospel. This is Paul writing, and it says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulation, his purpose, listen to this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. 
Just hold on for a minute. He says other places. Here, in the church, there is no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. The purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel was to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. That we would be one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which put to death their hostility. Okay, listen to me, Redemption Gateway. This hostility between human beings is the result of sin and it's in the church. If we are gonna take up this task of what it is to be the gospel, we need to be radical in barrier breaking, radical in bridge building. And if we hear that very clearly and understand unity matters because here he says, it was his very purpose to create out of the two one new man, to create out of the two one new humanity. It's God's very purpose in the gospel. Unity matters, but if you hear that right now and you go, man, I've got to cross barriers. I need to be radical in building bridges and listen to me. This may be in your very own home. This might be in your very marriage. This might be with your parents who you don't live with anymore or you do live with. This could be with a neighbor. This could be a coworker. This could be with someone in this very room, which is why they tell us, don't take communion if you have something against a brother or sister, but make it right because this is what God did in Christ. Now you may hear all that and go, that sounds beautiful, but the reality of living that out is like, oh, I'm stepping into massive discomfort. It's incredibly inconvenient. When you take it further, it is not safe and it is not secure, which is why we said this, the gospel is barrier breaking, bridge building work that is actualized through costly love. I'm convinced this whole scene in Acts chapter 21, this whole scene, him moving, saying, I gotta go, I gotta go to Jerusalem. It's motivated in love. It's driven by the gospel. It's passionate about unity. But you go, gosh, there's this whole moment where people are hearing the spirit differently. I am utterly convinced in this. I don't think the spirit's confused. I think the spirit did constrain Paul to go to Jerusalem. And in a weird way, I even think that the spirit was saying to these people, hey, Tell him to be careful about going, maybe even not go, because it's going to be bad. In order to make this point, death is always, always, always at the center of love. You can't love in simple forms or in grand forms without dying to yourself. It's impossible. Unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot birth new life. Many people want to follow after Jesus. And Jesus says, you must die to yourself. Take up your cross to follow me. There are all these people in this room, especially a lot of the men that would go, if somebody barged in the back doors right now, had guns and machetes, and said, renounce the name of Jesus, there'd be all these guys, if I asked you a fictitious question right now, would you compromise Christ? You'd go, never. But this afternoon, and certainly in a few weeks when the NFL starts and your wife asks you to get off the couch to help, 
you're going to be like, why would you ask me to do this? I'm just trying to relax and watch a football game. Guys and women, apply it to yourself. If you can't die to yourself to get off the couch to love somebody, you're not going to take a machete to the neck. Death is always at the center of love. In the simplest things, when your kids are screaming and yelling at you and you want to knock their block off, how do I die in order to love, right? When your boss is treating you that certain way, what does it mean to humble myself and die? All the way unto what does it mean to cross barriers, build bridges when you know it's dangerous? Who sets the example for us? Who do we follow? What do we call ourselves? What are we in this room? Christians. You know what Christian means? Little Christ. The shape of the Christian life is the shape of Jesus' life who died and only through his death did he find resurrection. If you're gonna find your life, Jesus says, what do you have to do? Lose it. And if we're gonna carry out barrier-breaking, bridge-building work, it will only be actualized through costly love. Now we hear that and we go, that sounds kinda like I know I should do it. It's kinda like going to McDonald's. Like, I know I should order a salad, but I'd much rather have a quarter pounder with cheese. Okay, <coughs> folks, let me tell you this. Luke said it last week. God tells us, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You will be happier in giving your life away. It's only in losing it that you find your life. There is self-interest involved in us breaking barriers, building bridges in costly love to other people. You say, I want to know God. Here's what 1 John 4 says. You want to know God? God is love. And all who live in love, the whole theme is to other people at cost to themselves. All who live in love live in God and God lives in them. If we don't want to walk the road of costly love, you don't live in God. We're not willing to experience God and we won't experience the blessed life that the words of the Lord Jesus who said you will be happier in giving than you will be in receiving. That's what Paul's doing. That's why he sets his face to Jerusalem and that's why he continues, which we'll pick up on next week. Father, we love you. Praise you for your grace to us in Christ. God, we thank you that the only possible way Paul and us are willing, able, and empowered to live these lives of costly love is because your love was the costliest. Your love cost you everything and yet you found life and were able to distribute it to us and deliver it to us because of your shed blood and the pain you endured and the separation from your father. God, it's in that we celebrate in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tyler.